0: The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. Please take your Bibles or your phones and go to John 17. The Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And let's see. we We need some seating help. So let's see. Yeah, if you guys want to scoot towards the middle, if you're able to do that, just kind of scoot on in towards the middle. There's about four seats up here on the front. You can have you can have mine. I had three, so you, you can take that. I like to have a lot of arm room when, when I'm going. So yeah, feel free. So yeah, if you want to scoot towards the middle or just scoot any, any, way, any way you're going, that's fine. Just scoot somewhere and we'll get people seated. So good to see everybody here today. There will be room in the first service. I know that. You can have a whole aisle to yourself in the first service if that's what you're looking for. So you could do that next week. So please uh, turn to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's okay if you don't know where it is. And John 17, what we have here today, in in light of Good Friday uh, barreling towards us this week and and Easter Sunday on the horizon, we will focus even more than we do so on, on a more focused way on Sundays, but on Friday we will especially narrow in even more to the cross and remember his resurrection on Sunday, I want to draw our attention to the epic and wonderful prayer of Jesus the night before he's crucified in John 17. Many have called this passage one of the most sacred moments in the four gospels and and maybe in the entire Bible. Here we see Jesus, the, the son of God, hours before he's going to be nailed to a cross to pay for sins. He's had his Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's now headed to the garden he's praying. He's about to be betrayed by Judas. And around 9 a.m., the crucifixion is going to start on, on Friday. And as we read John 17, these very words of Christ... And we hear them today. Some 2,000 years later, we're hearing these exact same words that the disciple whom Jesus loved, John himself, is hearing them and he writes them down. 2,000 years later, they have not lost their power. They have not lost their their significance. They have not lost their relevance. They have not diminished in any way. And in fact, when we hear them, it is though the very Lord Jesus himself is in our midst and we're overhearing him pray. It's like we're being transported to the garden hearing our Lord pray. And in honor of Christ, hearing these words as though he is very much in the room with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's stand together and and hear the words of Christ starting in John 17, verse 1. And here's what our brother John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shows us from Jesus. When Jesus had spoken these words, verse, you know, 16, chapter 16, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in my name through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. You may be seated. I love every day getting the mail with my kids. Oliver, my son, he's about 16 months old. The dude loves to be outside. He, he wants to live outside. Anytime, I, he's getting kind of cranky. It's about like 3 p.m., 4 p.m., and he's, you know, everyone's kind of cranky around that time. I want a nap. He didn't get a long enough nap. Everybody's ready for naps. And I tell him, hey, you want to go get the mail, buddy? And no matter what he's doing, he just goes, huh? And he (laughs) runs to the door. I mean, takes off running to the door. He gets it to the front door, and he is banging on the door. Let's go, let's go. And he's yelling for Ivy, and Ivy's, you know, i got to put my shoes on. And so she's putting her shoes on, little girl. And then we get out there. We go and get the mail. I take it out, and I give him, you know, some piece of mail so he can hold it. And we take the mail in, and then we lay it out. And we start separating it, going, okay, that's important, Yeah, we need that. Okay, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail, junk mail, junk, mail, junk, 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 junk. And then Ivy sees one and goes, ooh, a catalog. <laughs> and she, a little six-year-old little girl, she grabs the Target catalog or the Toys R Us catalog, Pottery Barn for Kids catalog, whatever it is, and she runs to, t- to the table, grabs a magic marker, and she starts circling all kinds of stuff. And, she, and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making orders. And so she's, she's circling things and getting them all together. And then what's amazing about it is I look through it. You know, she's ordering, you know, My Little Pony stuff or all kinds of other goofy animal stuff and clothes. And then I see that she's like circling some like kid clothes too, or little boy clothes. And like Transformers and Batman and Spider-Man. And I'm like, what are you doing? You don't like that stuff. She goes, "It's for Oliver. I know what he likes. And I know what he needs. So I'm going to make orders for him too. I, I know what he wants to get. I know what he needs and I, I know what he wants. She loves him, so she's ordering for him too. Why not? Guys, what we just heard in John 17 is Jesus praying for himself and, then, and praying for his disciples and he's praying for us, knowing what we need. He's asking the Father, Father, these are the things I, I want for my people, what I want for my disciples and what I want for the people sitting right here in the room. Guys, When Jesus was praying for them in verses 1 to 19, he's praying for the disciples that are right around him. And then look at verse 20. Look at what changes. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only. So not just his disciples, immediate disciples who are with him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a Christian, he's praying for you. Jesus is looking 2,000 years ahead. He says, I am looking in Tomball, Texas, and I am praying for the saints at Redeemer Church. And so verses 1 to 19, those are all true for the disciples and true for us. Jesus, I'm not not just praying just for these guys. I want to take all those things I pray, and I am applying it to Jeff Metters, to Chris Green, Sandy Green, Kim Simpson. I'm applying these, I'm praying these things for them right now. And look at verse 1. When Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come, the hour that has been determined before the foundation of the world that Jesus will be nailed to a cross and pay for sins. He says, it is about to be here in a few hours. I'll be humiliated, hanging before everyone, have king of the Jews hung above my head, crown of thorns, nails in my hands and feet, and I will begin to pay for sins. He's headed hours away from the cross. And what does the amazing Jesus do? He prays for you and me. We are on his mind. We are on his heart. He prays to God the Father for us. And these prayers matter because they are coming from the Son of God for you and me. Jesus is the most powerful person in the universe. He and the Father are one. I mean, how many times do we hear that? I and them and I and you and you and me. I mean, he's communicating, I and the Father are one. I am God. And look what Jesus says in verse 1. Look at verse 2. He calls himself the son, co-equal with the father. And verse 2, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given. So Jesus says, I am the one. You gave me authority to have over all people. And I'm the one who gives out eternal life. So we're seeing a big picture of Jesus. And look at what he says. Father, the time has come for you to glorify me. What a statement that is to overhear someone pray. Father, I'm ready for you to glorify me, to make me amazing, to make me look incredible, to worship me in the presence of the mighty angels. These statements are significant in the beginning because they are showing us the character, the position, the authority, and the person of who is praying for us. No scrub is praying for you and me. Almighty Son of God is praying for us. And when I hear what Jesus is saying about himself in verses one to five, my confidence in Jesus goes through the stratosphere because I feel like I am in constant danger of having small thoughts of Christ. I am in constant danger of having small, petty, puny, and Americanized thoughts of Jesus, but not the skyscraping, heart-buckling view of who Jesus is, his grandness right here. And that's who's praying for you and me. And I love what he says at the end. In verse 26, I made known to them your name. You'll read, if you read this entire prayer again, you'll hear so much. Jesus says, I made it known. I gave. You and I are Christians because Jesus said, I made it known to you. And look at what he says. And I will continue to make it known. Jesus is involved right now in your life. He's making things known to you if you're a Christian. He's teaching you. He's leading you. He's teaching you about the love of God. And what Jesus wants for you and I in this prayer right now, the first thing, Jesus wants us to know eternal life. Look at verse three. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So right now, right now, Jesus wants us to know eternal life. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for it. You aren't in some holding tank once you become a Christian. I'm just waiting to be zapped out of this place so I can have eternal life. That's not it. Rather, Jesus tells us you can have eternal life right now and maybe it it will begin for you today for the first time. When we think of eternal life, we really struggle to to grip it, like to get handles on what is this thing? What do you think of when you think of eternal life? squatty, chubby baby angels? Clouds? Charmin Ultra? I mean, I I, I don't know. We think of all kinds of weird things. Harps? Never-ending church services? You won't be in never-ending church service, okay? I promise. And if we were, it'd be much better. Our sin will be gone. and We'll enjoy it all. We have streets of gold, so... We have streets to go to walk on them, not just drive to church, you know. Th- those things aren't eternal life, those aren't the solidness of what eternal life is. Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, what does he say in verse 3? Eternal life is knowing God. And this is eternal. That is so helpful when Jesus does that. This is like neon sign. This is eternal life. That they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So even right there, what Jesus is saying, there is no eternal life apart from the only true God and Jesus Christ. This is real eternal life and it is knowing him. And you have it now. You have it right now. What does Jesus say? John three thirty six: Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. That will get, which is true. It will come more fully. But right now you have it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son. Do you see the difference? I think he's using synonyms, similar words. It whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey. He, why didn't he say whoever does not believe? Because belief and obedience are two sides of the same coin. And he's showing us the same thing. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 5, 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. I love that Jesus says, truly, truly, I, I say to you. Because all the prophets in the Old Testament, what do they say? They say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith, But Jesus says, I say to you. Because he is God himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. John six forty seven. truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Romans 6, our brother Paul, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 John 5, our brother John says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. We have it. John says, I have it now. First century, you have it. Redeemer Church, if you're a Christian, you have eternal life, but what is it? And this life is in his son. First John five, Romans six, Paul kind of relocates eternal life for us, not into this ethereal, just kind of baby experience and harps and all that kind of goofiness. He says, no, look right now, it's in Christ. You have eternal life in Jesus. You have passed from death to life. You pass from death to life because you are in Christ, because you have been crucified with Christ, and if you have been crucified with Christ, you have been raised with him into newness of life. So there's two things we see. If you believe in Jesus, what Jesus made clear in this prayer, he says, I'm not praying for everybody. I'm praying for my people. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for for, for the sheep, for the flock. So if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that he died in your place, he took your sins upon himself, his blood flowed down for you, and he rose again from the dead, two things you get from that. One, you get eternal life now, and that life is in Jesus. You get eternal life now, and that life is in Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus says in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, knowing God and knowing Jesus. Now, that's easy to read and go, okay, boom, got it. But we got to think about the word know. This is huge. What does it really mean to know God? This is very this is very important. There are two kinds of knowing of God. One reveals that you are you are on the way to the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of Christ. The other kind of knowing of God is what sends you to hell. There's an eternal difference between these two. And there's a kind of knowing of God that's in the Bible Belt that is what sends people to hell. Kind of a fakey, churchianity, wanting to be a good person. So you come to church, do that kind of thing, but care nothing about Jesus throughout the week. But you play the game, you fake it, you do all the kind of Christian stuff, but have no real passionate love for Christ at all. You don't really follow him at all. And that's unique to the Bible Belt because that's not happening in India. That's not happening in New York. That's not happening in Portland, Oregon. This is a Bible Belt poison. There's the knowing things about God, and then there is knowing God himself. There is knowing data, facts, and figures about God, and then there is knowing God himself. You can know things about God and yet not know God. But yet you cannot know God and not know things about God. So there is one that you can have and not have the other and the other you cannot have without having the other. And my greatest concern for Tom Ball, for the greater Houston area and for some of you is that you know things about God. You, you know what the Bible says. You know what Christianity is supposed to be. You know how Christians are supposed to act but yet you don't know Jesus. You know data but you don't know the person and that's the difference. You almost have like a Facebook stalker relationship with God. You've liked some of his pictures. You liked what he's done in the past. You like where he's checked in. But you don't really know him. You can know that God is sovereign. You can know that God is holy. You can know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And yet you cannot know him. Demons know that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. So, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? The person. Just because you read Tom Hanks' Wikipedia page doesn't mean you know Tom Hanks. A friend of mine was in Nashville and he was at a coffee shop there at the time and and Tom Hanks walked in. And his friend that was working there was like, man, there's Tom Hanks, that's cool. And he wasn't really blown away by anything then all of a sudden Tom Hanks placed his order and he heard Woody's voice. (laughs) And he's like, whoa, you're Tom Hanks? Tom Hanks is here. Now, that happened like three, four years ago. Imagine if that guy kept going around saying, Oh, man, Tom Hanks and I, 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 I know Tom Hanks. We're friends. Like, you are? Yeah, man. We, I ran into him at a coffee shop and we talked. It was really neat. Um, I follow him on Twitter now and, you know, we're just really good buddies. It's really great. Oh, awesome, man. So, like, you know, what's he like? Oh, I don't know. I, mean, I, I hang out with him. I, re, I read his Wikipedia page. I go see every movie he's done. I have, to, I have Toy Story on VHS, DVD, and now Blu-ray. I mean, and then I got him on my Apple TV. I mean, I just love all of what he does. I pay to see his movies, and we're good buddies. That, that kind of person, like, you don't know Tom Hanks. I think a lot of people, they know Jesus that way. They had an experience with him as a little kid. After that, nothing else. They go to church every now and then. They even pay. They drop some money, just like they're going to the movies. Just whatever's in their pocket. Just whatever, what, what I have, okay. Read the book every now and then. But yet, yeah, I know Jesus. Now we're really getting to the heart of the matter. The real knowing of God is a experiential, it's a life-altering, reconstituting, restoring relationship with God. Where you are not the same. When you meet people in the Gospels who know Jesus, they are not the same. They radically change. Because Wikipedia facts don't change your life. Doctrine doesn't change your life. Knowing who the doctrine is about, that changes your life. Like if I told you, did you know Tom Hanks' middle name is Jeffrey? Okay. But don't you want to live differently now? No. But let's pretend, I'm, really, I'm on a Tom Hanks kick today, all right? Just couldn't help it, all right? Let's pretend that you, you really know things about Tom Hanks, and you learn learned that Tom Hanks has a severe allergic reaction to cashews. All right? And Tom Hanks is coming over to watch the Rockets game. And here's what you're not going to do. You're like, oh, honey, Tom's coming over. Um, you know what we should put out? We should put out that, that jar of planter's fancy cashews for him. You know, the fancy ones, like the whole ones. You don't want the the pieces. You want the fancy. You want the the whole pieces. You're not going to do that because you know, that's going to kill my friend. But let's say you know that Tom loves queso, and I'm sure he does. (laughs) And you have him come over. You're going to put out queso. Like, Tom, I know you're obsessed with queso. It's your favorite food. I got you the best queso from Torchy's Tacos. Got a gallon of it. Enjoy, my friend. You know, I mean, this is what you're going to do because he's your friend. So knowing someone changes the way you actually relate to them. Knowing someone actually changes your life, changes the way changes your decisions, changes what you buy, changes the way you act, changes the way you talk. Knowing Jesus changes the way you live. This is eternal life. Life. Eternal life. You pass from death to life. So does knowing Jesus, the, the person, the God man, does he change your life? Is your life actually notably and noticeably different because of your choices? because of knowing Jesus, your passions, your thoughts, what you do, because you know Jesus. I'm terrified that many people in the Bible Belt are motivated to change their life, to act a certain way by the appearance of being a good person. And yet they go to church every week. That's what motivates them. I gotta be seen as a good person. I wanna be a moral person. A lot of people are motivated just by having Christian values. This is Christianity. These are the values of Christianity. So I'll do that. Motivated by those things, instead of knowing there is a Galilean who rose from the dead and sits on the throne. If your life is motivated just by these Christian abstract principles and not by the person of Christ, your Christianity isn't suspect. Many people cling to just values and not by blood. The most important question we can all ask ourselves is: Do I know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Do I know Jesus as my Savior, my Savior? Not just do I know that Jesus is, that He's a Savior, and that He's faithful. No, take it further. Do I know Jesus as my Savior, my Lamb of God who takes away my sins, my King, my Brother, my Friend? Do I know the love of Jesus for me? Maybe some of us today, for the first time, we really need to meet Jesus. We need to know Jesus as our great God and Savior. We need to meet him as our goal and prize of eternal life. And it's time for us to really confess our sins, to quit playing the game, to quit being fake with one another, quit being fake with family members, and to be real with Christ and repent and trust him for salvation of our souls. And maybe today you know, I do know Jesus. I do know him. I've been made new. I've been, made, I've been born again, but I'm, I'm not in a good place right now. I'm not keeping in step with him like the Bible says. I'm, I'm not walking with him. Jesus prays for you too. Look like what he prays in verse 13. Jesus wants us to have mega joy. Look at verse 13. But now I'm coming to you, Father. So he says, Father, I know where I'm headed after the cross, resurrection, ascension, I'm coming to you. These things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus says, all the things I'm speaking, the things I'm praying, the things we read, Jesus says, I said them so that my joy could be fulfilled in you. I want an atom bomb of joy in your life. This is what Jesus is after. And it's very specific. My joy Not worldly joy, not just kind of this nebulous, kind of bizarre, kind of pseudo happiness. Jesus, no, I want my joy, my life fulfilled in you. This is what Jesus is asking for us. This is what Jesus wants for you and me. The Bible, yes, it teaches us how to live, teaches us what to do, what not to do, but ultimately the Bible is a field guide to joy in Christ. It's the hitchhiker's guide to joy in Christ. It's what this really is. It points it all to Jesus. The Bible teaches us that our security is in Jesus. So that brings joy, that you can have full assurance of salvation in Christ. The Bible brings us joy because it tells us our hope is in Jesus. The Bible brings us joy because it tells us our identity is in Jesus. You are no longer your sins. You're no longer defined by your past because now you are identified as being in Christ. It tells us forgiveness and freedom and eternity is in Jesus. We have this Bible, guys, so that the joy of Jesus would be fulfilled in us. Christianity is is an invitation not to just neglect happiness. That's what a lot of people think. Christianity is just trying to keep me from being happy and having fun. No. Christianity is an invitation into having the joy of Christ fulfilled in you. The Bible is hardwired to point us to eternal life in Jesus I think we should never get over the fact that we have Bibles. This is incredible. We'd never get over the reality that we have a Bible. We've gotten to a strange place where we're no longer amazed that we have this book. The only true God, the eternal God, omniscient, omnipotent, holy, only true God of the entire universe gives us a book and says, here, here. I'm going to tell you about myself and tell you what I'm about and tell you who I am. And I'm going to show you Christ crucified, risen from the dead, how you can be saved, how you can enjoy, how I want your life to work. It's all here. How you can worship me, how you can follow me. I'm telling you all of it. And we go, eh. What else do you have? You got a movie version coming out? No, here, this book. These things I have spoken so that my joy may be fulfilled in you. Real joy. Jesus-rooted joy. It is war. Like what Jesus prays in verse 14. I have given them your word. So you see the theme again. And the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. So you will be hated. You will not be liked. You will not be easily, you will not be easily to integrate into the world. Christianity is always going upstream. Like he says in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's what we would think. Oh, man, let's get out of here. Let's get zapped. Let's create some kind of sub-Christian substructure where we'd have Christian sports, we have Christian food, we have Christian music, we have Christian movies, we have Christian clothes, we have Christian deodorant, we have Christian toilet paper. I mean, all that. I'm not saying those things. I'm not saying take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. So what does Jesus pray? Sanctify them in the truth. What is that? Your word is truth. So Jesus prays, Father, keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Grow them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays that we would be changed by the Bible, by his word, by him. And it is a false idea in the Bible Belt to think that we can change just by changing our experiences. Changing our surroundings. If I just move to a different city, then everything will change. If I just get married, then my life will be better. If I just do this, then I'll stop doing this. I know, here's what will help me stop looking at those things on the internet. I'll just put blockers on my computer. Look, some of these things will be helpful, but they will not last. They are not ultimate sources of change. What does Jesus say? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth. You will never experience lasting change in your life just by changing your surroundings. It will only come by Christ and his truth. You watch any war movie, American Sniper, Saving Private Ryan, I mean, any of these things. What happens when a gunshot wound occurs? Medics run out. And they do change the surrounding. They, they drag them out. We gotta go. We gotta get you out of here. You're gonna bleed out. Let's go. And they, they take them out and then they get them off on the side, on the safe side. And then what, what do they not do? They don't go, okay, we got you. You got a gunshot wound, left shoulder. I'll see you later. No. And that's some, a lot of what we do in Christianity. Hey man, let's just get you out of that. You got to stop doing that. Put filters on. No more drugs. Let's get you, you know, different friends. All right, see ya. That, that's not lasting change. It's temporary. Real cleansing, real washing in the water of the word. You must first encounter the truth. You must encounter Christ and he changes things. There's no alternative to the truth of God's word. If you try to change your life for changing your life's sake, you'll never get it. You'll miss it. You must first lose your life, meaning seeing that Jesus is Lord. I'm no longer in control. It's your way, Jesus. When you do that, then you find your life. That's knowing Jesus. That's passing from death to life. There's one final thing that Jesus prays for us to sum it all up, that Jesus wants for us. It's verse 24. Jesus wants us with him to see his glory. Jesus wants us with him to see his glory. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me, where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Do you see, do you see what Jesus desires for you right now, today? When he prayed this 2,000 years ago, his desire to have this high octane verse occur in your life hasn't changed. What does Jesus desire for us? Verse 24, Father, I desire. That's a huge insight into the heart of Jesus. I desire this. That they may also be with me. That they would be with me. This is the most loving thing that has ever been prayed for you. This is the most loving thing you've ever heard spoke over your life. Jesus prayed this for you. The highest and greatest and most glorious gift of the gospel is Jesus himself. We usually think Christianity is great, gospel is great because you get eternal life. And we think heaven. And we're almost there. you got to take it a notch higher. Yes, the gospel is great, Christianity is great because you get eternal life and that life is Christ. He is the gift of the gospel. Jesus is the reward of the Christian. And Jesus prays, Father, I want them to be with me. We Christians, we, we're really amazing at how, we're really amazing at how poorly we live sometimes. We're just, it's amazing how sinful we still are. Amazed at my own sin. I know many of you, I'm amazed at yours. And it's amazing that this is still true, that Jesus still prays, Father, I desire that they would be with me. Christian, Jesus wants you to believe that he loves you. He loves you. And I think from this verse we can say, Jesus likes you. Like we know what it is to love somebody and then to like somebody. Jesus likes you. He wants to be with you. He's asking, Father, I desire deep down in my heart, I want them to be with me. He wants you with them. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to be with you. So many of us think that Jesus just kind of tolerates us, that he just kind of puts up with us until we raise from the dead and we're finally perfect. But no more sin. No, Jesus prays, I want them to be with me. He already calls his friends. He's already not ashamed to call his brothers, Hebrew says, because God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And Jesus wants you to see his glory. Look what he says. Father, I desire that they would be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. They would see my power. They would see my love. They would see my amazingness. They would see my awesomeness, see my mega brilliance because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And Jesus is asking this for you. So Jesus is saying, Father, I desire that Chad Rippey will see my glory and be with me where I am. Father, I I desire that Ian McGee will will be with me where I am to to see my glory. Father, I desire that Dan and will be with me and to be where I am and see my glory. What Jesus is praying for here, it really blows me away. Especially when he says to see my glory. Do you remember what Jesus prayed at the beginning of this chapter? Look at verse five. What does Jesus pray at the beginning? And now, Father, glorify me. It's amazing that Jesus is praying this in your own presence, like what he says, with the glory, so there's a kind of glory coming, that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus says, there was a kind of glory that I had before I became a man, when I existed as the eternal son of God with you, before I took on a human body, that experience being with you, I am ready to have that again, Lord, again, Father, unbroken. And that's what I want them to see. Jesus is praying, Father, let's go retro again. Let's, I'm, I'm ready to put on my throwback jersey to the glory I had with you before the world existed. Let's go vintage glory of Christ. And I'm praying that they will see it. This is amazing. Because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, But now the father has exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what Jesus wants for you and for me. How awesome is this going to be? To finally see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his splendor. To finally see him, no longer with the eyes of faith, with the actual eyes. I I have no idea what it's going to be like and and what will happen. I think we are going to be blown away. And it's going to take us an eternity to enjoy it all. Jesus wants us to see it. He invites us to see it. And I don't know about you, but I love seeing awesome things. There's no one in this room that goes, "Eh, I prefer to see boring things. No, we all love awesome things. And the real struggle with us in our walk with Christ is that we have a hard time grasping the awesomeness of Jesus. So it might just be your prayer just made you start, Lord, help me to see your awesomeness. This is why March Madness buzzer beaters are the best. It's awesome. This is why LeBron James missing a bunch of free throws leading to a Houston Rockets victory is awesome. awesome. This is why the perfectly grilled filet mignon is so wonderful, why newborn babies, why that shockingly sweet strawberry, like you bite into it and you're like, whoa, this is really sweet. Fresh cut pineapple, that deep belly laugh that your kid gets when you're tickling them on the floor. These things are awesome and we love them. And they all come from the heart of God. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. These are hints and shadows and pointers to the awesomeness of Jesus. Like First Peter, when Peter writes, though you have not seen him, it's true for everyone in this room in case anyone has something to share. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Is that true? If you haven't seen him, you love him. No real explanation. No diving deeper, just you, you, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus wants us to see his awesomeness. Do you want to see it? Do you feel kind of an ache in your heart going, Yes, Lord? I want to be with you where you are, and I want to see your glory. If you don't, you need to meet Jesus for the first time. Do you want to be filled with his joy? Do you want to know him and the power of his resurrection? Do you want to see his glory? This isn't junk mail. Far from it. This is exactly what we need. Let's pray. If you're serving the Lord's Supper today, I invite you to to come forward. Jesus, would you show us your glory? As Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, now would you show us with unveiled face your glory that we may be transformed? Lord, would you show us now that you are the prize of eternal life? It is you. Would you grant us your joy that would be fulfilled in us more and more that it would begin to squeeze out and, and crowd out all the fading and hollow joys from the evil one? Would you help us to reject the promises and the lies and the short cells of the serpent and to be sanctified in the truth and your word is truth. Help us, Jesus. Jesus. And may we taste and see your glory in the Lord's Supper, in the bread, and in the cup. And it's in your holy and awesome name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.